Romans 6 today, but you'll need to go back to just the end of Romans 5, and we'll be there in just a minute. I feel like I need to uh, introduce today's message a little bit different than anyone I've done before uh, with a reminder, or maybe it's a piece of information you didn't know. Um, You can get these messages uh, on a CD from Miss Renee during the week, but if you wait a couple of days, they're actually on our website, and uh, so if you have a piece of equipment that you could just listen to that, kind of streaming, however that happens, I'm not a technology person. I just know you can listen to the sermons on the radio, uh, not on the radio, on the, um, on, the, on the website. And so I am not saying that because of who's preaching. The reason I'm pointing it out today is I know that most of you have already put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're settled on that. And I hope as we've been going through the book of Romans, your faith has grown deeper. You've become more aware of what happened at salvation. I really, really hope all of us who are Christians have, have rehearsed that so well that whether you, don't, whether you remember the specific words of a verse, you can go out and lead someone to Christ because you've learned and we've just gone over it and over it and you're ready to share your faith. But because of the content, what we're getting ready to head into, I do want to say, today's message is going to go over our head unless the Holy Spirit does the teaching. I'm not equipped to do it, I'll promise you that. So you need to right now be asking the Lord, show me the truth of this as a Christian. But even if the light bulb were to hit or it's reinforced, you say, I kind of already knew that, but it's reinforced today. I might encourage you before the week is over, go back on, those of you here, go back on the website, listen to today's message. I'll not say that every week, but you might want to listen to today's message again and maybe even a third time. You may want to just get it multiple times so that it eventually just soaks deep, deep, deep within. Now let's begin the message. Jesus Christ is so righteous that when he puts his righteousness, you've got to understand this, when he puts his righteousness to our account, what happens, again, I'm assuming many of us, most of us are already Christians. Hopefully you can look back, there was a day, don't pull the, well, I've pretty much been a Christian all my life. No, there was a time where you heard the gospel and you heard the promises of God and you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and the promise of God that met together and God said what Jesus did is enough to count for you and you believe that. His righteousness is so powerful that when he imputes it into your account, that allows a holy God To declare, uh uh-oh, I don't know what that was. That doesn't sound good. Let's try this. That allows a holy God to declare the ungodly righteous. His righteousness is so powerful, it allows God to declare the ungodly righteous. How? By being imputed to our account. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus is so righteous that he not only imputes his righteousness, but he imparts, and we could say implants his righteousness within us. And that is so powerful that once that starts happening, it starts producing righteousness and holiness within us. 
And listen here carefully. That producing holiness and righteousness in us is a process. It is not an event. It's not, hey, I got saved. Man, I don't battle sin anymore. It is a process. It has a name. Y'all know what that name is? Ready? It's a process where he comes in us, his righteousness comes. It starts producing holiness and righteousness out of our life. But it's a lifelong process called sanctification. Romans 6, 7, and 8 is all about sanctification. That's where we're heading. You say, Jeff, we've learned that we're all sinners. Yes, we've learned that God can save the ungodly because of what Jesus did on the cross if we believe him. Yes, in chapter 5, we kind of learned a little deeper exactly what happened. And we learned we had these benefits, you know, peace and access. And we went over like six things. The love of God's poured in us. We received the Holy Spirit. Went over all of those. But now as we head into chapter 6, 7, and 8, we're going to really start getting into this idea of the righteousness of Christ working out in believers. And it absolutely will happen. It's a process called sanctification. And then we're going to start in Romans 6 today. I think we'll end up preaching three messages in Romans 6 because, listen, there are three key instructions for the Christian to have guaranteed victory over sin. Romans 6, three key instructions. Today we'll touch on the first one, and it's this word, knowing. When you get saved, Jesus' righteousness is not only imputed, it's implanted and imparted. It will start working out in you and you will have victory over sin. And there's kind of three instructions we need to know. The first one is we need to know some things. You're going to see the word know three times. I think you see it in verse 3. You see it in verse 6. You see it in verse 9. I think you're going to see the word believe. Uh, You might even see the word certainly. Yes, certainly. So certainly, believe, know. No, no, and that's going to dominate today's passage. So with that in mind, we're going to read. We're going to read to verse 10 in chapter 6, but we need to back up first to verse 20 of chapter 5. So let's read our text, asking the Lord to show us even as we're reading. Now, the law, Moses' law, God's law given to Moses, the law came in, we preached on this last week, the law came in to increase the trespass but where sin increased grace abounded all the more two things happened grace abounded all the more so that as sin like sin as sin reigned in death kind of past grace it's the new king the new reigner grace also might reign through righteousness oh my righteousness no Through righteousness leading to eternal life. Oh, I'm going to be righteous and earn my way to heaven. No, grace also will reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's his righteousness. Now chapter 6. Having just said all of that, Paul's heard all this before. He's taught it many times. He knows the responses people give to his teaching. And so he doesn't have a live audience. He's writing a book and sending it hundreds of miles away to Christians who are in Rome. And so there he says, what shall we say then? What shall we say then to what was just said in chapter 5? Here's the question. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, exclamation point. 
By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 1 through 4 is really the text. Verse 5 through 10 kind of rehearses and explains it and kind of, again, goes maybe a little deeper, a little more explanation. But it's basically rehearsing what's been said. Here we go. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified, past tense, with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died, for one who's died, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, the idea being since we have died, we being the Christian, not everybody. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death, so verse 7, sin no more. We're free from sin. He's free from sin. Never had it. He died for sin. But we're free from sin. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin. You say, right, Jesus died for sin. True. Verse 10 says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Four thoughts today. Number one, you write it down. There's the question. We have a question. Verse number one gives the question. What shall we say then? What do we say then to what, Paul? What was just said at the end of chapter number five? What do we say to that? Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound based off of what we just read? Can't rehearse last week's message. I realize several of you were not able to be here last week. Um, So I'm going to touch this quickly. Y'all know that we've had the law of Moses, the law of God, less time than we didn't have it. So for thousands of years, there was no law of God. And then 3,400 years ago, verse 20 of chapter 5 says, the law entered. And you would think when the law entered, we would stop sinning. We'd realize, oh, God doesn't like that. God likes that. We'll start doing those things, stop doing those things, and less sin will actually take place. But verse 20 is clear. What happened? Two things happened. Number one, the actual amount and count of sin increased. So sin increased. Why? Because now people who knew some things were sin in their, in their implanted God, what he stamped on their soul and their being, their conscience, they already knew some things. But now God spells out many things very specifically. And some of them mankind didn't know. And now they know, but we don't stop how we live. We continue to live the same way. And so now the count of sin increases. 
Uh, picture this. What if all of a sudden, by the way, this is not true, but what if we learned that wearing black shoes is sin? God, new revelation, wearing black shoes, I'm in trouble. And some of you are in trouble. Now, we haven't learned that's not going to be revealed, wearing black shoes. To my knowledge, is not a sin. But all of a sudden, these people get some revelation of God. It's like, whoa, that's sin? But they don't change. So what happens? Sin increases, increases. But the second thing that happens is grace also increases. So sin mounted up, and God's grace even went higher. Last week, I said, how gracious is God? How much grace does he give? And I said, as much as he needs to, like a, like a 32-year-old dad racing his 10-year-old son. How fast does he run? Just fast enough to beat him. That's how fast he runs. Okay? How gracious is God? As gracious as he needs to be. So sin mounts up, but God's grace superabounds over top of that. That's two things. Now here, we're going to move on after this. You ready? Paul's taught this by this point, A.D. 56. He's taught it hundreds of times, hundreds of locations. And he's heard people's reaction. Were he live? Probably very informal. They'd probably be, Paul, hold on. Now, now if, if it's what you just said, people go to heaven by not in any way being good and stopping all the wrongs. That doesn't get us to heaven. So you're saying it is purely by faith in Christ. It is purely by faith in Christ. Yes, I'm saying that. And you're saying when the law came and our sin increased, God's grace actually increased more. And in a strange way, our magnified sin really magnifies the grace of God and shows that it's even greater. Yes, that is true. So here's what they would do. So Paul, based on what you're saying, in essence, are you saying this? Since God's grace is seen as greater because of how much sin we commit, look how much sin his grace could overcome. Look how much sin his grace could forgive. Look how bad, not only the amount, but how bad of sin he could forgive and overcome. Then... Shouldn't we sin more so that we can have more grace? I mean, that will exalt and glorify people really now. Hey, look how gracious God is. He forgives even this person. You can do that and still go to heaven. The grace of God is that powerful. So some people conclude, hey, more sin equals more grace. And more grace, that's a good thing, right? So we need to commit sin. We need to go live sinful life. Unless you think no one ever thought that. Paul's not putting this in just to be rhetorical. He knows people's thoughts. In fact, you have a note of a man who was back in the 18, early 1900s. He was an advisor to the ruling Romanov family in Russia, and his name was Rasputin. And he actually taught, and he would probably tell you today, hey, if you're only an ordinary sinner, you're not really giving God a chance to fully glorify his grace. So you need to be an extraordinary sinner. Don't just be an ordinary sinner. Come on. Be an extraordinary sinner. And then everybody knows, and you still get to go to heaven. Oh, absolutely. Still get to go to heaven. Wow. Well, I guess I'll join you in that endeavor. Let's go out and sin way worse and much more than we ever have. There's the question. Number two. What's the answer? The answer is in verse two. You see the first three words? By no means. See the exclamation point? Paul wrote the book of Romans in the Greek language. This is the strongest Greek idiom that Paul could have used. Of all the things, he wants to answer that question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, we want to magnify grace, so we need to sin more. Paul's strongest idiom he could use at his disposal is the one he uses here. The King James says, God forbid, exclamation mark. Should we keep sinning so grace abound? God forbid, by no means, never let it be said. Are you crazy? No, that's the answer. You say, is that the second point? Almost, I'm almost done, we're moving quickly. Second point is real simple. By no means. Paul is outraged. I think the real tone of verse 1 and 2 
is it really only, catch this, only an unsafe person would really give that serious consideration. I'm not saying a, a person who's saved and reads Paul's teaching and kind of say, I can kind of see how someone maybe becomes that conclusion, okay, do, are we supposed to sin to magnify grace? But it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, it doesn't feel right because it's not right. It's not right. But Paul's heard the arguments and a lot of his enemies say, you've got to stop going around telling people they can go to heaven just by faith because your congregations, they're going to live very wickedly, so you need to stop it. Now, I need to say something real quick because I'm a pastor in this church. I will continue to preach that the only way to heaven is by God's grace and our faith and we don't do anything. We just receive it. I'm going to keep preaching that because that's what the Scripture says. But I'm also going to accompany with that that once a person is saved, that righteousness of Christ that's put in them will start coming out. Remember our word earlier, sanctification? That's where the holiness of God starts working in us and working out in us. Listen to what I'm saying. Sanctification cannot begin until salvation. You say, well, I, I, I need to do better, get my life straightened out, and then I'm going to go to church and see if I can become a Christian. Wrong answer. You cannot begin sanctification until the moment of salvation. That's where it begins. But once it begins, it is sure to happen after salvation. Sanctification is sure to happen after salvation. Third point. So verse number one is the question, what shall we say then? Do we continue in sin? Verse number two, by no means. Third thing is the explanation. The next three thoughts I'm going to give you, I'm going to probably say this all three times. This is key. All right? And I know when someone says, this is key. Okay, yeah, you're the boy that cried wolf. Everything's key according to you. The next three things I'm going to say, next three thoughts are all key. The first is back in verse number one. Words mean things, and we need to learn what words mean. So verse number one, we've got to go back to Paul's question. What shall we say then? Are we? So Christian, really meditate, really contemplate, ask the Lord. Holy Spirit, show me what this means. Here's the question. Are we to continue in sin? You see the word continue? The word continue means, by the way, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Paul is not saying, are we to continue in sin that grace may have bound? Are we to have an act of sin and then an act of sin there, up oh, later in the day, and there, oh, a little cluster there, oh, another act of sin. That is not what he's talking about. What he's talking about in verse 1, shall we continue in sin, means to have as an unbroken pattern of sin, an unbroken lifestyle. Paul is not saying Christians don't commit acts of sin. 1 John chapter 1 makes it very clear. We all commit acts of sin. Paul is going to make clear though, Christians are not to continue in an unbroken lifestyle like the whole pattern is sin, 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 sin. Oh, a little good thing that they did. Sin, 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 sin. Oh, they read their Bible once. Sin, 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 sin. Oh, they went to church. That is not the Christian life. That is not the Christian life. You say, then what is Paul referring to? Not an unbroken pattern of sin. Why? I'm getting ready to tell you. Ready? The answer. Should we continue in an unbroken lifestyle of sin? That's the question. The answer, no. Why not? Look at verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You know what Paul says? No, you should not continue in sin as an unbroken pattern of life, habitually sinning all the time. No, you should not because you 
cannot. Christian at Graceview this morning, listen to me. A Christian cannot continue in an unbroken lifestyle pattern of sin. They cannot. You shouldn't because you can't. Yeah, I said it. You can't. MacArthur words it this way. He says, the life, check yourself, the life that is not basically marked by holiness has no claim on salvation. You say, well, my life's marked by pretty much unbroken sin if you take into account my mind and my actions, then you're not saved. I'm not saying this. The scripture is saying this. Who cares about John MacArthur unless the scripture backs it up? How can we? We can't. We've already died to sin. You say, well, Paul's just kind of on a little, ho- a little hobby horse. He got a little confused. It's a little, you know, hard to understand. Surely that's not what he meant. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Let's read over there. 1 John 3. Almost the exact same thing John's going to say. 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and begin reading while you're making their way. You're making your way there. 1 John 3. Verse number 1. See. What kind of love the Father has given to us? Have you ever beheld it, really thought about it? That we should be called children of God. How much does he love us? He lets us be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us, by the way, the world has no clue. We're going to go out of here in a little while, and we're going to go mingle in the world. They have no clue who's beside them who's driving beside them, working in the cubicle beside them, teaching their class, sitting in their class. They have no clue. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. God walked among them and they totally missed it. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. It's okay. God just bumped them in the shoulder. They totally missed it. Verse number two. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And here's here's our text. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse 4 drives it a little more clearly. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, what Paul uses the word continues in, lifestyle, habitual. It's not talking about an act of sin. He's talking about Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one, could the scripture be more clear? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. The idea keeps on and on and on and on, unbroken pattern. They don't. Why? No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. I guess they were saved and then they lost it. Nope. They've never seen him or known him. They've never had a relationship. And then John says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, can't be any more clear. If you've got a question about the message, come back to verse 9. Put your little asterisk there. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For how come? Why? For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. In verse 10, more clarification. By this, by this teaching, by the difference, by this, it's evident who are the children of God. Hey, 
You ought to know who's, who's Christian and who isn't. Let me say that again. You'll know who's a Christian and who isn't. Because verse number 10 of 1 John chapter 3 says, By this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Would you go back to Romans 6? Back to Romans 6. This is key. Told you. Next thought's key. Verse number 2. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Help me out. What tense is died to sin? What tense is that? Past. This is key. You need to remember this for the rest of the message, rest of your life. Paul is not teaching that we are dying to sin. Paul is teaching that we as Christians have already died to sin. No one here lives without committing acts of sin. None of us live without committing acts of sin. But a Christian cannot, will not, because he cannot, live habitually in a lifestyle of sin. And if that brings conviction and great question to you, well then you need to process this and ask the Lord to reveal truth to you. Verse 3. This is key. Let's give down to verse 3 because it's key. In fact, it's the key to the passage. How is he saying we've already died? What in the world does that mean? We've already died to sin. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Last week I finished last week's message talking about being baptized. Being in Christ. I didn't use the word baptized. You say, oh, what Paul is talking about here is the reason we can't sin is because we've been, you know, baptized with Christ. That means we go in the baptistry up there and our sins are washed away. Listen, Paul is not talking about water baptism here. Paul is talking about what water baptism represents. Water baptism symbolizes and represents what he's saying here. Remember, we go in there, you stop breathing, you know, you put your hand over or you hold your nose, you stop breathing, you die. We put you down in the symbolism of being buried like Christ was and then you come back up out of the water and you're raised like Christ and you move on. Why? Because you've been baptized. Last week, here's where I finished. Is this phrase, in Christ. It's in verse 3. Into Christ. And I ask you, are you in Christ? And I said, this is, sounds real tricky, but don't make it tricky. Say, so what does that in mean? In Christ, what does that mean? And I said, if you're in a bus, we're in a bus, and the bus goes off the cliff, what happens to you? You go off the cliff because you're in the bus. What happens to the bus happens to you. If the bus goes to Disney World... What happens to you? You say, I like B better than A. Whatever happens to the bus is going to happen to you because you're in the bus. Quick review of chapter 5. All of us were born into Adam. We're all born in Adam. God didn't recreate and recreate. He created mankind in Adam. And then from Adam, he made a woman. And then from Adam and Eve, all of us were made, made, made. We weren't created again and again. We were, God was created. God created mankind in Adam, and then we were all in Adam. So here's what it means. Everything Adam did counted against us because we're in him, and that's why the Bible says when he sinned, verse 12 of chapter 5, all of sin, because you were there, you were in him, and all of his sin counts against you, and that's why we all die. But God made a law. If you will by faith 
Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're born in Adam. You didn't ask for it. This is where you were born. But if you'll put your faith in Jesus, you get moved over into Christ. And just like everything that Adam did counted against you because you were in him. Now, if you're in Christ, everything Christ does counts for you. And according to chapter 6, that means three things. Number one, we died with Christ. Look at verse number 3. We died with Christ. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're in him. So when he died, we were in him when he died. And verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. We were buried. This gets a little tricky. I'm going to hit it and keep moving. Hopefully it ties all in. What the Bible teaches is that once a person by faith is moved from in Adam to being in Christ, that means that since Jesus died 2,000 years ago, they were in him dying 2,000 years ago, but it may in a practical sense take place in your life at some certain point. For me, I died in 1979. When did you die? I died. The old self... Jeff Bartlett lived for nine years. And in 1979 of June, 1970, I died. That's when I died. And that's when I started to live in 1979. When did you die and when did you start to live? Jesus died 2,000 years ago. I'm in him and in practical in time and space, I'm born in 1970. I get saved and so I die in 1979 because I died with Christ. Second thing that happened is we were raised with Christ. You see verse 4 and 5. We were raised with Christ. The Bible says we were buried therefore. We died. It really did happen. Burial is the proof. We were buried therefore with him by baptism, being placed into. I forgot to say this. You know what the word baptism means? Baptizo means to be placed into. That's why we immerse instead of sprinkle. To be placed into. So verse 4 again. Verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism, being placed into, buried into death, in order that... Just as Christ was raised. So everything that's happening to him is happening to us. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What happened? Christ was raised again. Y'all know that Jesus came back to life. He really died. He really was buried. He was in the tomb. Part of three days. But then he came back to life. It fulfilled prophecy, but it did more than fulfilled prophecy. Write these things down. It secured our justification. Jesus, in essence, says, Father, I'll give you my life and all my righteousness as a payment for their sin. And Father says, I'll take it. And his resurrection proves that the Father would take it. And it also not only secured our justification, it guaranteed our own resurrection. Lord, I can't explain it all, but spiritually said, I'm in Christ, so he died. I'm dying there too. He came back to life. I came back to life. I will one day come back to life. And I came back to life in him. And so in that whole process of Jesus' resurrection, it proves that Jesus is God and the Messiah because the resurrection shows that death cannot keep down the Lord of life. He's the creator. He laid down his life and he takes his life back again. So we die with Christ because we've been baptized, placed, immersed into him whatever happens to him. We're raised with Christ and then the third thing you see at the end of verse number four, we walk with Christ. Verse number four at the end, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from, 
from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we too, what happens to him happens to us, we too might walk in newness of life. We are raised to walk with Christ. In fact, I want to point your attention down to verse number 8. One more proof text and we'll try to illustrate this. Ready? Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will, we will also live with Christ. We will also live. This is tricky, I realize, so I'm going to say it slow. We can look at verse number 8 and say, okay, because Jesus was raised from the dead, that ensures my resurrection one day. It will. But it means more than that. Paul is speaking of actually walking in harmony with Christ in this life. Because he was raised, I am raised, not only down the road in eternity at the second resurrection, the great resurrection, but I am actually raised. I will walk in harmony with Christ in this present life because at the moment of salvation, his spirit possessed me. So the guy that's talking to you today died in 1979, but he started living in 1979, and he was possessed ever since 1979. I am actually possessed. I'm a possessed person. There are two of us living inside. So, can I illustrate that? Got to use your imagination. This isn't possible. But think with me. What if the spirit of a lion, say lion like L-I-O-N? Yeah. What if the spirit of a lion possessed me? So I'm in here, but all of a sudden the spirit of a lion, a real lion, and all of a sudden he's just, Kind of lifeless now. He's not what he used to be because his spirit's actually possessed me. That's not possible. But if it were, he has a personality. He has thoughts. He has desires. He has actions, right? You know what would happen? If I'm possessed by the spirit of a lion, I'm going to have different desires. I'm going to have different actions. That means whenever in the future my family and I go down to Riverbank Zoo in Columbia, you know, my daughter's going to go to go see when they have the little penguin exhibit. Oh, that's great. And okay, yeah, that's fine. I like the little penguins. They're cute. And you go over and you see that. Oh, they're the flamingos. But when we get to those bigger animals outside, if I'm truly possessed by the spirit of a lion, you know what's going to happen? You know, we're standing there and the family's like, oh, look at the cute little zebras. Look at, they're cute. And I'm going, yeah, they look good. And then they move on to go look at the giraffes, right? But I've got brand new desires. And it's affecting my actions. And they don't even know it until they hear the guards blowing whistles. Brrr, brrr, and people are running in in these tan-looking shorts and shirts and boots. And some nuts jump the fence. He's in there trying to run around and catch a zebra. He just, something, he just wants to sink his teeth. But he only had the right kind of teeth. He just wants to sink his teeth in the back of one of those zebras. Why? I'm possessed by the spirit of a lion. I've got brand new desires. I've got brand new actions. Something's happened. Listen, in 1979, this is my story. I don't know yours. But when Jesus Christ's spirit came into me, I literally have been finding more and more. There are new desires. They, re they result in new actions. Something as big and as powerful as God does not come in you and you stay the same. That is impossible. You cannot just stay the same. Righteousness becomes the new normal. Yes, there's an act of sin and an act of sin and an act of sin. Righteousness is the new normal. Verse number four even says that we too might walk in newness of life. Newness doesn't just mean, oh, at a point in time, a new life. There's where it started. Oh, it's new, baby. It's a new life kind of life 
Something is present that wasn't there before. We literally become a new person. What I'm describing is if you're 25, 35, 45 years old, you've lived 25, 35, 45 years as you, and you've developed your habits and your desires and your taste and your actions. I'm saying if you were to get saved at that age, and someone who's known you all your life, they don't see you for the next six or seven years, and they come back and they spend time with you, they literally should think this thought, what in the world did y'all do with so-and-so? What do you mean? Something. They're like a whole different person. That's called sanctification. That's what's supposed to happen. That's the Christian life. Now, y'all tell me, what is the main adjective of the Spirit of Christ? It's the one that's in the Bible hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. He's called the what Spirit? Holy Spirit. So when Christ's Spirit comes in, He's the Holy Spirit, it will start working out. Now, if we stopped right there, and that was the end of the message, you guys would be like, okay. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the question. No is the answer. The reason, we can't. We can't continue in sin. Why? Because we've died to sin. Jesus died for sin and Jesus died to sin. We didn't die for sin, but we were in him. And when he died to sin, we also died to sin. So I don't understand it all, but this is good. It's good news. But then you'd be really confused because you'd say, I must be different. Something's wrong with me. And that's why we have our fourth point today. Our fourth thought today is the reality of spiritual struggle. There's still the reality of spiritual struggle. The question is, should we continue in sin? The answer is no. The explanation is because you cannot. You should not because you cannot continue unbroken lifestyle of sin. So then we have this reality though. What about this reality of spiritual struggle? This is where it's going to get a little tougher for me to explain. This is a difficult passage, one for us to understand, but two, when we start putting our life beside it, you're like, Jeff, I, I know I'm saved. I know I've been a Christian the next amount of years. Some of this, there's still this major struggle. Here's what makes the passage difficult. God inspired Paul. So it's God's word. God inspired Paul to make a spiritual declaration. He's already done that in verses 1 through 4. Paul makes a spiritual declaration that only becomes, listen, obvious, most obvious and most powerful. Here's the spiritual declaration. God says it, but it's only most obvious as it is met in life by a practical, real-time application. The truth's been stated, but it's enjoyed, it's most effective, most obvious, most powerful when it's put into the life in real-time Practical application. Can we have Colossians chapter 2, verse number 6? This is key. I think fourth time I've said that. Look what the Bible says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Somebody give me a synonym for the word as. Paul tells the Colossians, hey Colossians, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, as you receive, the, as you receive Christ Jesus of the word, so walk in him. Give me a synonym for the word as. You could say because, or you could say in the same way, same amount, or you could say, it starts with a nail, like you received Christ Jesus, because you received, but again, as you received in the same way, so walk i got to have you thinking. This is urgent. 
How did you receive Christ Jesus? What did you do? I'm looking for a five-letter word. You had faith. Did you do anything else? You say, no, just by faith I received. How did you? The verse, verse says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus. So just like you received. Well, what did I, I received him by faith. So walk in him. How do I live the Christian life? You receive the Lord. Your Christian life begins by faith in Christ. How do I continue? By faith in Christ. I should have this, included this in your notes. I didn't. A few of you may want to write this down. You say, what in the world is faith? Faith is when God makes a promise and we live like it's true. Faith is when God makes a promise and we live like it's true. When I was nine years old, I didn't understand all the ins and outs. All I know is I was a sinner and God made a promise that Jesus died for me and if I'll ask him to be my savior, he would. God made a promise and I started living like he's telling the truth. God made a promise in Romans chapter 6, Christian, you need to hear it, that you, if you really are Christian, you've died to sin. You cannot continue in an unbroken pattern of lifestyle in sin. That's the promise of God. That's how you continue moving forward in the Christian life, by faith. All right, God, you said it. That's the way it is. I'm going to start living like it. Spiritual declaration must meet practical application. We are saved from sin at the moment of salvation. Saved from sin's penalty, but I am saved from sin. Separated from it. So here's our question. Let's just be honest. Why are we still tempted by it? If I died to sin, why am I still tempted? Why do I still commit acts of sin? There is a reason. The reason we're still tempted. The reason we still commit acts of sin. By the way, write this down. The truth is every Christian, all of us here, faces a battle of the mind every day. Why? Because the Christian is still incarcerated in an unredeemed fleshly body. We're still incarcerated. So we're, we're trapped, we're imprisoned in an unredeemed body, unredeemed flesh. We have a fleshly nature. You say, Jeff, isn't that what died back in verse number 2? Yeah. You say, so this is a total contradiction. This isn't making sense. If I, me, my old sinful nature, died back in, chapter two, in verse number 2, and it's also reiterated that it happens in verse number 6, then why am I still tempted? Words mean things. Look at verse number 6. For we know that our old self was crucified. Remember, we died back in him. Was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. See that phrase, brought to nothing? You know what it means? That it might be rendered powerless, inoperable. It does not mean the old flesh, the old nature that was crucified and died with Christ. It doesn't mean that it was annihilated. It means it was rendered powerless. It was rendered inoperable. So to make something clear, you say, so then we're trapped. It was rendered powerless, inoperable. It doesn't have to have control, but we're trapped in these sinful, wicked bodies. I need to make something real clear. Our bodies, our physical bodies say, so Jeff, your skin is wicked and sinful. You should get a razor blade and just start slashing your flesh, right? Wrong. Our body of itself is not sinful. Our body's not sinful of itself. That's not the case. In fact, the body could be used for good, isn't it? We can use our tongue, our hands, our feet. We can use our eyes, our ears for good. So the body's not sinful of itself. You say, so what's the problem? That old sin nature, here's tricky. Holy Spirit's going to have to apply this. The old sin nature died on the cross with Christ, but it's kind of like a chicken with its head cut off. It's still running around. It's dead, but dying. 
And it still calls your name. Sin still calls your name. You don't have to answer, but it still tries to call your name. Verse number 6 says it was actually rendered, the old sin nature, the old man was crucified that the body of sin might be, verse number 6 says, brought to nothing, rendered inoperable, powerless. Why, Paul? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That is not a hope so, if so. That's, that's actually a fact. Past tense, the body of sin was brought to nothing. Why, God? So that we would no longer... The, God did that so that this would be the case. We are no longer enslaved to sin. That's the idea. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Hey, you know the, uh, the lost man who, who's a drunk? That's not his main problem. You say, well, dude, I know. The guy I know, he's a drunk. That's his main problem. No, it's not. The guy who's a drug addict that's lost, that's not his main problem. You say, yes, it is. It's destroying his family. His adultery is not his main problem. His anger is not his main problem. You say, what's his main problem? His main problem is he needs to be delivered and freed from his sin master. It just happens to manifest and you know, come out in the form of anger and adultery and addiction. That's not his main problem. His main problem is he needs freed from that master. Verse number 6, and look at verse 7. One who's died has been set free from sin. The verse is clear. We are no longer enslaved to sin. If you're a Christian, listen to me, you are not enslaved to sin. Now here's what I find. I find myself fitting this category sometimes. Many Christians live like those parents of the four-year-old. Say, what do you mean? Sometimes we live like the parents of the four-year-old who lives in fear and cowering down to the four-year-old who runs the house. So mom's 28, 130 pounds, and little guy, little lady is 30 pounds. Dad, now he's six foot two, and he's 30 years old, and he's 220 pounds, but they live like, like what is it, honey? They're going to get upset if we don't. Don't cry. Oh, they're starting to do the yell thing. What is it? And they just dance around trying to keep them happy all the time. And you feel like saying, hey, dude, aren't you the parents? And they're the child. Therefore, you're 28, you're 30. They can't boss you around. You're the boss. I find that a lot of Christians are free from sin, but they don't live like it. Free from sin, but don't live like it. Martin Lloyd-Jones gives the following, I think, very good illustration. You'll have to use your imagination. Picture two adjoining fields. Got them? Two fields. One owned by Satan. I'm going to read this slow because it's important. I'm going to use several illustrations to hopefully help the light bulb go on. He says, picture two adjoining fields, one owned by Satan and one owned by God. They are separated by a road. Before salvation, put yourself into it. Before salvation, a person lives in Satan's field. They live there. And is totally subject to his jurisdiction. After salvation, a person works in the other field, now subject only to God's jurisdiction. As he plows in the new field, however, the believer is often cajoled by his former master who seeks to entice him back into the old sinful ways. And Jones continues and concludes by saying, Satan 
often succeeds in temporarily drawing the believer's attention away from his new master and his new way of life. But he, Satan, is powerless to draw the believer back into the old field of sin and death. Why? You cannot go back over. It is impossible, verse 2, verse 6. He may get you to stop and be distracted and kind of reminisce and think about that and your mind goes there and you may even commit acts of sin but you can never go back over there and live again. Impossible to live there. Why? Look at verse 7. One who's died has been set free. Let me tell you something. This is important. If a drunk dies, if a drunk dies, he's no longer addicted to alcohol. If a porn addict dies, he's no longer addicted to pornography. A drug addict dies, he's no longer addicted. Now, it may still call. I've died. You're not my boss. I'm not addicted. The person may think, oh, and you're sitting here right now, and some of you are probably thinking, there was a time in my life where I was addicted to that or that, or I was addicted to anger, or I was, I was caught up, I was addicted in an adulterous affair, I was an addictive liar, I was addicted to stealing, but when you die, I died in 1979, when you die, you're no longer, you cannot be addicted to it anymore. And the Bible is very clear, if you're a Christian, you died to sin. You say, it's still tough, I'm, I'm having a hard time of experience and reality and what the scriptures are saying Warren Wearsby gives a great great quote I promise I wouldn't waste your time if this wasn't a great quote he says too many Christians are betweeners man you ought to catch this too many Christians are betweeners they live between Egypt and Canaan saved but never satisfied explain that. Egypt is where the children of Israel are enslaved but God brings them out and when they eventually go into Canaan that's going to be the victory of faith. Man they're just going through and they're just conquering and winning and all the time when they're relying on the Lord they are just undefeated. Got sin in the camp, lost that little bitty city, got sin right. Man they defeat them and them and they're just conquering, owning, enjoying the land, slavery, victory but then there's these 40 years in between and Wearsby says, many Christians, too many, are betweeners. They live between Egypt, slavery, and Canaan. Saved but never satisfied. And then he puts it another way. Or they live between Good Friday and Easter. Believing in the cross, and they're a Christian, but not entering into the power and glory of the resurrection. They're betweeners. They're living in Saturday. Saved. Jesus died for my sin. Yes, I'm saved. But they're over here kind of living the same as before. They haven't figured out when he rose from the dead, I rose from the dead to have a new kind of life, a newness of life. That's a great quote. The next one's better, and that's why I put it in your notes. Richard Halverson writes the following. You'll not get it right now. You need to take this home. You need to go over it and over it and over it. I, I always send notes to... To Renee, and I sent these at 11 o'clock Thursday night, and I came in Friday morning about 10 o'clock to kind of check and always make sure. And she went through and she says, 
That's a great quote. I said, I thought so too. I said, look at my notes. I've got three little asterisks. And I don't put little asterisks on everything. I highlight everything, but I don't put asterisks on everything. Halverson writes the following. This is us. Listen carefully. We fail as Christians not because we do not try hard enough. Like, hey, I'm having a real battle with sin. I just got to try harder. Wrong answer. That's not why we fail. He says, we fail as Christians because we do not avail ourselves of the resources of God. And you need to take that home and chew on it. If you think the answer out of all this, oh boy, verse number two, I died with Christ. I'm supposed to be doing better. I just got to try harder. No, you got to stop trying so hard and you've got to start realizing, okay, by faith, God said, I'm dead to that sin. You don't have power over me. Why do I keep listening? Before I had to listen to you, you're not my boss anymore. Talk to your sin. You need to talk to it. And by faith, God, you said I'm dead to that. I've been losing. I'm going to start winning, not by me trying harder. I'm going to go back, and when you, Lord, when it comes, I'm going to get my Romans 6 out, and I'm going to kind of rehearse it, and I'm getting out of here. I'm walking away. You don't have power over me. Good try. Nice try. You're not getting me again. We fail as Christians not because we do not try hard enough, but because we do not avail ourselves of the resources of God. The story is told of a prisoner of war who's kept in a cave. He's chained back in a cave for years. Barely kept alive, but the guy was told, if you ever do get out of your chains and you try to escape, I'm going to tell you right now, there's an armed guard who is under, under orders, and there's a rotation, and we're always under orders. If anyone other than someone bringing food rounds that corner of that cave, we don't ask questions, you shoot to kill and you will die. Do you understand? And for years, that's how he lives, chained, barely kept alive. If you ever try to escape, you will die. Then one day the guy hears a tremendous gunfight outside the cave. Man, there's fighting back and forth, going back and forth. And then out of the blue, someone he's never seen before comes in and looses his shackles and gives him the good news. You're free, man. You're free. And he looses him, tells him he's free, declares his freedom. Got to go, I got to go loose some other people. I got to go tell them. And off he goes to tell some more people. You say, man, that's great. This guy's finally free. Yeah, he didn't move for fear of being shot. He stayed right where he was. Freedom was provided. Liberty was declared. But he froze for fear that somebody, that guy that's been ordered to shoot, I am not sticking my head around that corner. He was free, but he didn't live like it. And I think there's a lot of Christians who are free. But don't live like it. Listen. Freedom can be declared. But it's only enjoyed when it's employed. 241 years ago, our forefathers declared freedom from Great Britain. Declaration. Independence. Take that. And they sent it over there. How do you think it's going to go? Well, maybe they'll say, oh, okay. (laughs) Anybody can declare freedom. At some point, you're going to have to fight for it. And they did, and they won, and today we're free. So, yeah, that's great. That is kind of what this week's about. That is awesome. I'm going to get ready to tell you what's better. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ fought a battle on the cross to pay your sin debt and to free you from sin's tyranny. 
He has now declared your break from sin's penalty and sin's powerlessness. It is powerless over you. He is saying it has no power on you. It is inoperable in you. I've already paid for it. He's broken the bonds, declared you are free. But unfortunately, I'm speaking in front of some who just this week have been living like sin is their Lord and their master just like before. You're free, Christian. It's been declared. It's been paid for. But we don't live like it. Give me just a moment. I find it very effective to name our former sin master. Name your former sin master. What is it? What is your former sin master that just this last week or the last month is still trying to lord over you and like that little four-year-old, they're going to do it as long as they can get by with it. They haven't figured it out yet. They keep doing what I tell them. What's its name? Your former sin master. Don't it have you on speed dial? Because you had such a good relationship, right? And the thing is, you know something I've learned? I don't have to answer everybody that calls me. I get a lot of -of out-of-state phone calls. I have no idea who it is. I don't answer those. Because it's usually, hey, you've been just selected. You're going to win an eight-day, seven-night trip to Florida. And we're going to give you Disney tickets. I've, literally, I can about tell you the phone number. It's out of Tampa. They keep sitting over. And I don't answer it. Sin, your former sin slave master, keeps calling you. Here's what you have to know. You don't have to answer. And you can never live there again. If you live there, then you're not saved. Hey, he's Christian, you can't live there, right? Because something happens. You're like, yeah, I know what happened. The Holy Spirit convicts. You commit an act of sin, and he starts convicting, and it makes it not comfortable. What's your former master's name? Was it anger? Was it rage? It's sin. Why? Sin on many levels. Anger and rage is sin. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength, and it's absent. It's sin. Why? Because you used to use it and you still do. What are you doing? You're manipulating people and bullying people to get your way in the scenario with your anger and your rage. It's sin. It's wrong. Why? Because it keeps you from pointing people to Christ. You're on this earth. You're your child of God, saved. You're supposed to be pointing people to Christ, but they don't see anything of Christ because of your anger and your rage. You're still letting it bully you to use you to bully other people. And it's ruining your life. Let me have one more. Was your former master addiction, substance, pornography? I hit that a good bit because statistics tell us it's rampant. Most, not some, most of you men, they tell me, are either kind of hooked on it, practicing looking at it or starting to dabble in it, Was it addiction? Was, I'm not saying is, if you're a Christian, was your former master pornography? If so, it's sin. Why? Because it atrophies your soul. But come on, man, I'm not actually doing it. It's just paper. It's just plastic with pixels. It has atrophied your soul so much that you're even asking what's wrong with it. It's sin. Why? Because it becomes an idol in your life that you are acting like you love it more than you love your Lord. 
It's wrong. It's sin. Why? Because if you're married, it's breaking your vows. It's bringing others into the marriage. It's sin. Why? Because the industry that produces it abuses women. It's sin. Why? Because it's a gateway to all other kinds of sin. I came here to tell you, you don't have to listen. When you die to it, you're not addicted to it anymore. Write this down at your last note. Sanctification. Victory in the Christian life starts with knowing. That's chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Knowledge is power. An ignorant Christian is ineffective. God sent me here this morning to tell you, you do not have to obey your sinful desires. You say, but I have been. It's because you're letting your old sin nature rule. He's actually been dethroned. He has no rightful authority on you. He cannot. You're dead to it. Would you bow your heads this morning? Paul had a question. Should we continue in sin that grace somehow will look better? The answer was, God forbid, by no means. Never let it be said. How can you dare even think that? Is that really a plan? You hear about Jesus dying on the cross? And that makes you think you can just go out and sin or somehow make God look better because we sin worse? That doesn't work. And then he explains the reason we will not continue in sin and should not continue in sin because we cannot. But we have this battle. But the battle's already been won and victory's been declared and we've been free. But are we living like some sin's slave this last week? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Christian, I want to ask you a question. Is there a sin that has tried to treat you like its slave the last week or so? Is there one? Is it anger? Uh, You say, that's not mine. Okay. Envy. Have you found yourself envious? Nonstop. Just kind of, wow, I'm very envious. I'm not satisfied. I'll guarantee you in this room, someone's been being speed dialed by fear. Fear. You're always afraid. Just afraid. Afraid. If you're a Christian, it's not your master. Is someone here today, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Somebody did something or you think they did something and you just cannot forgive them. Unforgiveness. Someone else, it's lust. What is it? You've got to name it. You've got to identify it. Is it worry? Worry. I'm just so worried all the time. Is it a substance? Is it a viewing habit? Maybe something I've not said, but the Holy Spirit right now is telling you exactly what it is. Listen very carefully. Do not try harder. You say, man, I've never been to a church where the preacher says don't try harder. Stop trying harder, and I want to give you simple, simple steps. Confess the acts of sin. Confess the acts of sin. Confess your weakness. And then ask God to show you what it means. Now here's what we're going to do. I don't even know if we'll have a time necessarily where we're all going to stand and sing today. I'm going to have you just stay in your seat. To me, Romans 6 is revolutionary to the Christian life. 
If you're here this morning and say, God has put a specific sin on my life, maybe not this past week, but from time to time, it sure does dial my number. And I just need to acknowledge it. And I just need to tell God I'm weak. And I need to ask Him to explain what does it mean that I've already died to that sin and it's been rendered powerless. I don't want to be the parent of the four-year-old anymore. I want to live in the freedom God's provided. I'm going to ask Deanna or whoever sings this song. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You can do it there in the seat. There's a verse that says, At his feet humbly I bow. And the altar's available if I can help you this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The altar's open. As the Lord leads. To Jesus, I surrender. Does anyone need to use an altar today? Just God, I want to acknowledge my sin, confess my weakness, and ask you to show me.